Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to episode 17 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview Marsha and Miguel Semazar, the husband and wife co-founders behind Pajama Bosses an online software and training company helping network marketers systematize and grow their global businesses, which grew 131% last financial year to do nearly $2.2 million in annual revenue. We discuss the big turning points in their lives, such as how they met and decided to move to the other side of the world together how they quit their professions despite decades of study and built up direct selling organisations to hundreds of thousands of people globally. The lessons of success they learned the hard way through their own experience and how they now teach it to others. If you are in network marketing or direct selling or interested in knowing more, visit www.pajamabosses.com forward slash free training that's P-Y-J-A-M-A-B-O-S-S-E-S dot com forward slash F-R-E-E-T-R-A-I-N-I-N-G. So I'm here with uh, Masha and Miguel, the co-founders and co-owners of Pajama Bosses. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Derek. We're so excited to be here. Thanks, guys. So, can you both describe what you were doing before you started Pajama Bosses? Sort of, what did you study? What types of organisations were you working in, or, or what roles? Oh wow, that's a whole that's a whole podcast in itself. But you know, personally, I'm from Slovenia, and I came to Australia 14 years ago. And Miguel's from Spain, and you know, we 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 were very young immigrants to Australia. I have a PhD in molecular genetics, and I was a research scientist at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, and Miguel is a trained commercial pilot, so we are very far away from our backgrounds, but that doesn't mean that we didn't transfer a lot of skills to what we're now doing, so, you know, we worked at, I worked in academia, Miguel was uh, working in aviation, so it was very different to what we're doing now. So what made you want to come to Australia? Because it's sort of the other side of the world. Um, how did you both sort of pick Australia as a place to move to? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question, Derek. Uh, so in my, in my case, uh, so obviously, as you probably can tell, I have a little bit of an accent. So I'm Spanish. Um, uh, one thing led to another. I lived in England, then I lived in Dubai. Uh, and um, the reason I'm telling, you know, a little bit of that story, that, that part of the story is because um, I used to work for Emirates, and um, the lady that I have next to me that is my wife now um, was a passenger in one of my flights, and uh, 
at that time, Masha was moving from Europe, from Italy at that time. She was living in Italy. Uh, she, she was moving to Australia to, to, to work uh, for one year at the University of Queensland as a researcher. And anyway, one thing led to another. And, um, you know, I didn't really, I like Dubai a lot. But uh, in my case, you know, I guess sometimes you do crazy things for love. So I decided to kind of pack my bags and uh, move to Australia while she was uh, here in uh, uh, living and working at the university. And uh, that's how everything started. That's pretty much the reason I moved in here. And obviously for Masha was uh, an offer to, to work for the University of Queensland at that time. And we never thought that we'd live in Australia for this long. In fact, I clearly uh, remember, you know, arriving to Australia and working in the lab. And there were several other Europeans there. And I asked them, you know, why did they stay in Australia for so long? Because I'm only here for 12 months and I'm going back because Australia is so far remote and there's not much here. <laughs> um, but here we are 14 years later. We really love living here. And, you know, we've built a life and a business here. So we really like it. Yeah, but it wasn't intentional. It was kind of serendipitous. Yeah. And, and so you both had professions that require obviously a huge amount of commitment and study. You've got to go a long way down a path to become a pilot, to become a, a professor and a researcher in a PhD level. What made you go from those very sort of specialized paths into wanting to start your own business? That's, that's a whole that's a different story. Again, it was intentional and it wasn't, you know. Deep down, I mean, for myself, I was almost at the age of 30 and an opportunity presented itself for the first time to build my own business. And as much as I had, you know, maybe for 10 years of being a researcher, avoided the commercial world or the world of business, there was something deep inside me that knew that I was meant to do something different. And it was that hunch that we followed. And then, you know, we went through all sorts of ups and downs and finally fell in love with building businesses and that's kind of how it went. But it was really a search for more freedom and more income, more lifestyle, you know, that drove us at the very beginning. And, and were your parents or siblings or close friends sort of in an entrepreneurial business environment or how did you sort of, what was your exposure to, to running a business before you started yourself? Actually, in my case, not at all, uh, Derek. Uh, my parents both work uh, their whole life, you know, the 40-year plan uh, mm. that people talk about, you know. So my father is a physiotherapist, my mom is a nurse, and they all they both worked, you know, 40, 40 years plus for a hospital. It was a government hospital. So uh, in my case, you know, when I when I went to my parents and, and, you know, they took me to a, like a private school, they paid, you know, they were like little aunts saving money. Uh, kind of middle class in Spain, and uh, they took me to a private kind of school where most of the rich and famous, you know, the sons and their children, you know, they would go. And for me, I would go back home and I would ask my parents to say, you know, somebody in their, you know, uh, genealogy tree of these people, you know, because these guys, some of them were coming in limousines, you know, to school, right? The mm. kids. So I was, I was always saying to them, there is something that someone in their family did that changed the whole, you know, generations to come. And my parents said, yeah, sure, you know what they did? You know, somebody went to school, they got a good education, and they worked really hard their whole life, you know, and they saved some money, they invested it, and they made good money. And that's what kind of got stuck with me, you know, that it was kind of the misunderstanding in a way that uh, studying harder and working harder was going to actually create that 
you know, different future at the end of the day. And you know what, Derek, even for me, like I went to school for over 20 years, you know, I got a degree, first degree from Oxford University. I was fortunate enough to be able, you know, to go there. And even there in that environment, there was a lot of very affluent people in England. And so they were very focused on going on and creating their businesses while my family literally did not have a lot of experience in that. Both my parents eventually in their um, in their in their 40s and 50s transitioned into running their own businesses, but they didn't start out like that. Um, so, you know, while we had a little bit of, exp- well, I had a little bit of exposure at home, it really didn't resonate with me somehow. And while I was in Oxford, I decided against going to work in the city for an investment bank and going and pursuing a PhD and research. Um, but like I said before, there was something deep inside me when I first got approached to build a business that was wanting more and that's what kind of developed from there. And, and so obviously your family, your social circle knew you as, you know, as a pilot and as a researcher and, and living where you were. How did your sort of inner circle react when you said I'm moving to the other side of the world and then shortly afterwards I'm, I'm completely changing my career and work life to start a business? What was their sort of reaction? Oh, I mean, all of our families were shocked, you know, especially because both of us spent a long time and a lot of, you know, a lot of time and money investment into creating this really, really strong careers. I mm. mean, um, I, I had been really fortunate in my career just before uh, leaving University of Queensland, won a very prestigious grant that I was able to fund a whole research lab on. Um, and despite that, decided against it and, you know, pursued the really risky path of being my own boss. And uh, nobody really understood that. Our families were always supportive from the sidelines, but they were cautious because they really love us and they want to make sure that we don't get disappointed. So I don't think they really understood our choice. At oh, that time. In, my, in my case, Derek, uh, literally, my, my best friend just told me that I was crazy. Uh, first of all, <laughs> to move to Australia. Uh, my parents thought that I had lost it because, uh, you know, moving for love to, you know, even, even further from, from Spain, from Dubai to Australia. Uh, and not just that, because coming to Australia, in my case, for example, meant that I could not fly as a pilot because I had to convert all my licenses to the Australian standards, you mm. know. Uh, so it meant that I had to invest more money, time. Uh, no airline would give me a job here. So... Uh, one of my best friends, he said to me, you know, you are aware that most probably, you know, you moving to Australia, what it means is that you are basically quitting on flying a plane, you know? And I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I took my chances in a, in a way. And I think, and here's the thing, you know, I know that uh, you probably have some, you know, young professionals sometimes are, you know, sometimes looking for an opportunity to change their life, I guess. Um the only thing that I can say based on, you know, what's happened to us, I guess, is sometimes you have that thing that is called gut feeling. And sometimes that, that brain of ours, that mind, kind of suppresses that feeling and that hunch and that gut, you know, instinct. Because, you know, either life is kind of okay or comfortable and it's too risky, right? Uh, in my case, I guess, somehow because of love or whatever, you know, you call it whatever um i said to myself you know what i'll take my chances right and uh and the only way you can find out in life i guess something like this taking the chances that you 
that you have to take in the risk and, and see what happens, right? Mm. I think, Derek, it's really interesting for those of, you know, those people listening to this and say, should I choose the risky path and go and start a business? I have such a steady job. I have such an amazing opportunity. I've got a six-figure salary. And I think the question they really need to ask themselves is, are they really getting fulfilled doing what they're doing? Because, you know, like Tony Robbins always says, uh, financial success without fulfillment is failure. You know, if you're treading, uh, you know, every day in a job that perhaps you're not getting fulfilled in, but you know you have more inside you that you want to explore. Um, and it's not just about finances. It's not just about the earnings that you'll be able to make in the business, but something that you really want to live behind. Now is the time. You know, the the real safe is the new, the real risky is the new safe. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's not more anymore even that our jobs are presented with security. It is sometimes safer to rely on yourself and continue to invest in yourself to create a business that you depend on. So all of those things, you know, as you're looking forward into the next 10 years, perhaps consider that and make those decisions faster than you will and rely on yourself. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting perspective and a really good point. So did you start your first business together or did one of you sort of uh, start first, like Miguel, while Masha, you were still working or what was the first sort of business venture that you did in Australia? We, we both did it together. I didn't we came to Australia, you know, um, I guess in, in my case, I always thought that I had no choice, you know, whatever this lady does, I'm going to have to do it anyway because <laughs> I really... I've already risked a lot, so I guess I'm coming here to give it my best, you know, my best go at the, at the end of the day. So uh, the, the day that we started uh, our business, you know, in distribution, basically, that was that was a like an interesting day because, um, you know, at that time, you know, I was in my case, I was frustrated because I couldn't I couldn't get a job as a pilot. I had come to Australia to, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with it, obviously, with all the respects, but I was I was working at the airport at that time as a, you know, as a uh, ground staff, and and obviously, you know, the money is not the same. The financial is not the same working in the cockpit of a, one airplane than working as a ground staff, right? So for me, it was a little bit out of frustration, and I was saying to Masha one day, you know, there has to be something better that I can do. And out of that, we both went into this kind of quick uh, quest of finding out if there was something, some kind of business that we could start. Uh, and yeah, so answering your question, we were both together at the time and the place that we decided we were going to start. What I must say is that uh, Masha was very positive about starting a business. Maybe, I don't know, maybe because of the family, maybe because uh, she really kind of cared about me at that time. Uh, and she saw the frustration that I was going through. Uh, but, um, but I think at the end of the day, it was, I guess the right place at the right time and it was that point in time where there was that decision that you need to make you feel that you have to make to move forward and there was no way back. Yeah and so once you had made that jump and you're positive and again you're seeing the upside, how did that sort of compare to the, the reality of the first 12 months of sort of being self-employed and, and being in a very different environment than uh, your previous environment? So we didn't do our business full time for mm -hmm. about 18 months. So we, you know, and I think that's another good piece of advice. If you're starting a side business, make sure that 
you know, you're doubly replacing your income. You don't just jump in first and maybe you have some savings, but I don't think it's even about that. It is about creating a new skill. And if you've never been an entrepreneur, I do suggest you start part-time. So we did that for about 18 months and replaced our incomes and, um, and then went into it full-time. But even so, you know, probably for about, I want to say almost two and a half years, we did, didn't really make significant, you know, success or financial success. It really took some time to create skills that we didn't have. I mean, we come from backgrounds that are so completely different to anything in marketing or business that you could imagine that we really had to create some real skill. And, you know, so running a company, running a business is always different. And so I want you to always allow yourself the possibility of not being the star overnight and really focusing on the process, focusing on getting the skills. And that's the most valuable thing. The skills we created in the first two, three years are still creating us, you know, millions and millions of dollars today. But at the end of the day, Derek, I think, uh, again, I'm, I'm thinking about, again, who we were when we started, you know, coming from an employee kind of mentality into what you were saying, you know, what is the entrepreneurial kind of mindset that you need to have. So first, the willingness to do whatever it takes. Uh, there is no, you know, as, as soon as you enter into the entrepreneurial world, there is not, there's nothing like nine to five. You know, you're working on a Sunday, on a Monday, Tuesday. It doesn't really matter because it's when the business needs you, you need to be there for the business, you know, until you have the infrastructure that you can kind of, I guess, uh, stop a little bit or, or slow down with the hours that you, that, you, that you have, right? But at the beginning, you know, I think it's uh, as an entrepreneur, you know, going from, you know, having a nine to five, let's say Monday to Friday, you are adding extra hours, to that, you know, you're not going to have less hours, you're going to have more. So if life is busy already, it's going to get busier for, for a little while. I would say, you know, 12 to 14 months, if nothing else. And then, and only then, if you have been willing to put in the hours and the effort and to do whatever it takes, then you can start seeing some, I would say, good results that you can start saying, well, maybe I can go part-time in my job and I can start spending more time in my business. They can actually be my legacy, you know. Mm. And so at what point was it about the, the 18 to 24 month mark that you said like your, your side business was sort of equivalent to your salaries, that's when you went all in and, and um, focused 100% full time on the business? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We took a lot of risks, you know. Um, I mean, this is now 14 years or so running businesses. Um, yes, we went full time and then, you know, we didn't quite create huge success straight away either. It was still then, you know, learning many things along the path. For example, one thing that we learned around the third, fourth year is we were growing the business so aggressively that we were spending so much money more than we were actually making and actually, you know, progressively got significantly into debt, over $200,000 in credit card debt. And that's poor financial planning, poor financial decisions, but we had never owned a business. And, you know, all we wanted was to succeed. So we kept investing a lot of money into the business while it wasn't returning and got significantly into debt. And then very successfully in the next 12 months, turning it around, you know, paying all the debt off. So there was many, many ups and downs and many learnings, you know, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't just overnight that we created the skills and everything that we needed to be able to create the success that we have today. Hmm. And so this first sort of decade or so was in the direct selling sort of distribution network marketing businesses, is that correct? And then sort of more recently transitioned into 
running a sort of training company for people in those sort of organizations? Yes, yeah, so we spent almost 10 years, you know, building a network marketing organization. Uh, we spent, uh, we were building two different companies, uh, first one for two and a half years and then another one for almost 10 years. And we built a very large international organization, a distribution network for health products. And we traveled to literally the five continents, Africa, South America, North America. We lived in Asia. We lived in, uh, in the U.S. I mean, We've been to so many countries. So we grew a very large, hundreds of thousands of people, consumers, organization. And then about three, four years ago, we were having so much success. People were asking us, how did we do it? And we started actually creating the company called Pajama Bosses, uh, which is training, consulting, and software company uh, that helps direct sales, network marketing to create systems so that people can grow those businesses faster. And did you ever consider creating your own sort of network marketing business? Obviously, you had such a scale, you would have been very close to the top of the, the ones you were working with. Did you ever consider sort of launching your own product lines or, or sort of your own um, direct marketing no. business? Uh, not really. Well, here, here's the thing that, and again, you know, everybody has their own kind of uh, preferences, I guess, in life and, and choices. And for us, uh, one of the things, and I don't know if this may help uh, to some of you guys that are listening to this today. One of the things for us that we've always uh, followed is a little bit, as I said, going back to that instinct, right? And um, one of the things, again, within that instinct is as our network marketing business started growing, uh, we learned a very valuable lesson, which is, you know, Sometimes, you know, you need to follow the volume, you know, where the sales are, where that business is, you know, within what you're doing, obviously. You know, it doesn't mean that you need to quit everything you do and, and start something just because you have a hunch, you know. Uh, we always follow the volume. Like if we have, let's say, I don't know, in uh, in Mexico, for example, you know, within a year, we grew an organization just in, in South America and Central America of over, I think it was about 100 something thousand people, you know, in about a year and a bit, right? Now, that had not been possible if we had kind of neglected us traveling to Mexico, for example, just because that person that wanted to do the business has said, oh, I want to do this business, right? So in, in certain way, when, when you're asking that question in terms of whether we had thought of that, it did cross our mind. But at the same time, here's what happens, you know, as we decreased the hours that we were working in our business from, you know, something crazy like 12 hours a day to four to five hours a week to, to scale our business, you know, and increase our income. What happened is that a lot of people came to us asking, you know, what is the secret? You know, as, as you probably know, when, when you start having some success in life, people come to you and, and they want to know, you know, quote unquote, what is the, the secret sauce? So um, our secret sauce at the end of the day was to, to, to use, uh, to do network marketing and, and, and have the approach like a traditional business, you know, having processes, having structure, having, you know, a, a system that could work without us having to be involved 24-7. Uh, and that was the kind of the, our secret sauce. So a lot of people came to us. And, and actually, the reason we started with Pijama Bosses is because we had so many people coming to us that we decided to start, you know, using our... I guess our expertise to help these people. And one thing led to another, then we started hiring one developer, then another one, then some customer service. And, you know, four years later, here we are, you know, like. So 
So it, it was almost like, you know, people are requesting for us to do an online training, Derek, mm -hmm. one day. And literally the day before, we're like, well, we have to have a company for this. And what are we going to call it? So we literally set up one night thinking about the name of this company. Um, and, you know, we came out with the concept of pajama bosses, which is really all about the, the freedom of choice, right? You can work in your pajamas, but it's really about the freedom of, of choice. And so we started doing trainings and from online programs that, you know, we had big online launches and people bought our programs. One thing led to another and people wanted systems. And then, like Miguel said, we went down the software path. So a large majority of our revenue now is from a, a software as a service company. We still we do coaching, some high-level consulting coaching still, but it's mainly from, you know, the system that we have built into a software platform that we teach people to scale with. Hmm. And, and so Pajama Bosses grew over 130% last financial year and doing nearly $2.2 in annual revenue and being one of the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So obviously your previous experience um, taught you a lot about rapid growth and big teams and scaling and, and processes. But once you're in this new online training, like I said, software as a service business and this rapid growth, how, what was sort of the good and bad and the ups and downs of this sudden growth and additional success in a slightly different field? Yeah, again, you know, we were reinventing ourselves and we had to learn a whole heap of new skills. I mean, uh, running an online software as a service company is completely different to running a network marketing direct sales organization. So while we had some marketing skills that we were transferring, there's all sorts of other skills we're learning again. The key to the fast growth probably was catalyzed by hiring a couple of really good mentors and really following their advice. Um, so it wasn't, I mean, pajama bosses, revenue, really, if you look, it's really, you know, 24 months since we really decided to focus on this business. Uh, before, it was kind of like a side income, side hobby business that we had. And I think really the rapid growth was because we had the right advice and then took massive action and immersed ourselves into learning the skills of growing a different type of business. But uh, going, you know, answering that question that you say, you know, the good and the bad. So the, the bad and then the good. So the bad, you know, I guess at the end of the day is that no matter how successful you think you are, at any given time, you choose to do something different in your life and you need to be willing to roll up your sleeves roll up your sleeves again and go back to work. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have to do like five hours a day. It doesn't mean that you're going to do two hours a day. It, it means that you need to do again whatever it takes. Because, you know, I, we've seen a lot, a lot of people sometimes, you know, they have these backgrounds and they've done these things in the past and, and they, they come to a different industry somehow. Like in our case, obviously, network marketing is, is an industry in itself, right, in a profession. Uh, and then we go into the online world. The online world is, is a completely, again, it's a whole new world, right? And uh, it requires a different set of skills. You can apply the principles, and that is the thing that I think we, we, I'm trying to kind of to, to, to point out, that the, the bad, but it's a good thing in itself, is that if you apply the same principles of, you know, do, willing to do whatever it takes until you get the results that you're looking for, it will happen, you know, no matter how long it takes. The good thing about it uh, is that uh, one thing that we learned in the past, you know, before we started with these uh, with pajama bosses in the online world, was that if everything has to do with mentorship, the answer, and this is the thing, the big, the big kind of take. If, if, if you guys, if anyone remembers nothing else from me, this is what I would like everybody to remember. You know, um, it's never the what, it's never the why, 
you know, it's never the how to. It's always, the answer to your question is always the who. Who is having the results that you want to? And then you go and ask them and say, how much is it going to take for me to learn what you know that is going to fast track me to be where you are today? Most of the people, they ask the wrong question. And by default, they get the wrong answer. When you ask the why, when you ask the how to, what happens is you go back into the learning modes. And going back to the learning mode is that you're going back to square one. Instead of asking the who, that person, when you ask the who, is that person is already has gone through the challenges. It's, in, it's on the other side, you know, sort of speak. And that person can tell you, these are the challenges you're going to find, and this is how you can avoid those pitfalls, right? And that is the shortcut in itself. There's no shortcuts, really, but if there was one, it would be always asking who. It Derek, the, the growth needs to be, you know, it was much more intentional. You know, building this business over the last three, four years now has been really intentional. Plus, the muscle that we had built by creating success in another type of business 100% helped us. So for anyone listening who wants to venture into their own, you know, self-made business or self-owned business, the number one thing, it doesn't really matter where you start because you're going to need to learn some entrepreneurial muscle. No matter where you learn it, that's going to help you always. Then, you know, as you're learning all these different things, perhaps you're picking down more of a defined niche of a certain type of business that you really are going to identify that you love. And so I think for us, you know, we were willing to go back to work. And that's what we see sometimes uh, that a lot of people who have made money in the past not necessarily are willing to go back to working extremely hard. And quite honestly, in Australia, most of us have it so good, we don't have to do that. So the other component that is really important in creating, you know, massive success for us was really having a bigger vision than just ourselves. You know, it's not no longer necessary for us just to live, to be to have to go to work every single day, yet we choose to do that. And so you need to find a greater purpose to what you're really doing and find something um, that you believe is really important to do every day. Does that make sense? Yeah, and no, I, th- I think those are all excellent points and I'm sure as well with the, a lot of your network marketing, you were taking people again who have been successful in one field but are looking for a change and you've got to identify what's required in order to help them be successful in something different and so you mentioned the mentorship, the bigger vision, the willingness to put in the work. Is there anything else you, you sort of saw that differentiated people that sort of came into the network marketing and were very successful from those who weren't as successful? I mean, specifically in network marketing, you know, one thing that stands out, and I think it's an industry that is very often misunderstood. I mean, I certainly 13 years ago knew nothing about it, and the things that I heard were definitely not good. Um, So, you know, it's a very misunderstood industry. There's a lot of extremely professional people around the world who make millions of dollars every year doing network marketing. And I think the distinguishing factor for this profession that you have to learn more so than in other, other businesses is that you are not the magic. You are never supposed to be the expert because what happens is if you are able to show people how to create success without you so that uh, the business actually depends on a system that people follow, a a process that people follow, then you're able to remove yourself and create, you know, residual income. And so that was one concept that we always told people and still today, you know, we right now work with top leaders in many different network marketing companies around the world and that's exactly what we help them do is to create a system so they're not essential they're not the magic the system is so that they can create more time freedom while creating 
financial freedom. Some, somehow, uh, you know, I, I always say to people, I, I'm the, the type of person that I like to, you know, think about real life examples somehow, and probably that helps to have, at least for myself, that kind of mental image that illustrates, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line of what it means. So in, in that case, in, in this case, Derek, uh, you know, thinking about you not being the hero, you know, whether you have a traditional business or network marketing business, it doesn't really matter. I always go back to, you know, uh, superhero movies, you know, and when you, you know, Superman, Superwoman, Spider-Man, Batman. And I like, I like, always, I always talk about Batman because it's a very, very simple illustration of what happens when, when someone that has a business becomes the, 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 the hero, right? And I go back to kind of the movie, you know, Batman, you know, at the end of each movie, he's wounded, he's exhausted, you know, he's kind of killed the Batman, the, the, the actual, the, 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 the villain, right? And mm-hmm. he goes and retires into his cave and his mansion, right? Um, now, what happens is at the beginning of every single movie, you know, uh, is the, the following situation, as you know, you know, something bad happens in Gotham City. And what do, do the major of the city and the police and everyone do? You know, they just put this sign on the sky with the, you know, with the Batman sign. And until Batman appears, everything is on hold. Right. So sometimes in business that's what happens you know the whole business is on hold when the actual owner or you know the person that is in charge kind of has to take a day off or has to take a week off or they need to deal with family emergency or some health issues and there's no systems and processes in place so the business depends on them and when you think back and Masha and I kind of the reason we I'm saying that is because we we kind of got burnt out working, you know, 16 hours a day sometimes, you know, and then eventually you get physically exhausted. But then you have a look to like people like Richard Branson, for example, you know, he lives in his island, he travels around the world, he, nobody, his business or businesses do, do not depend on him. Why? Because he set up processes, he set up systems where anybody that comes into that company can actually follow a process and replicate what others have been doing, right? And I think sometimes, you know, people underestimate the power of actually using a proper process, you know, and they have this kind of mentality sometimes where the harder I work, the more results I'm going to have. And sometimes it's not entirely true. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point, as you said, for any business that a lot of business owners get trapped being the Batman and they get sort of so used to being that hero that everyone stops and calls that it sort of makes, you know, everyone else sort of dependent and helpless and, and again, it's a single point of failure and then they can never sort of pull themselves out and that's the difference between people who who stay as self-employed or very small business for a long time versus those who build bigger and bigger companies like you said all the way up to like a Richard Branson with 500 companies underneath him. Yep, exactly. And, uh, you know, and that's how it is, you know, but, but here's the thing, like, since and there's nothing uh, let me let me kind of pre-frame this properly because uh, sometimes you need to be extremely careful when you you make certain certain comments there's nothing wrong with the education system but sometimes what happens throughout our education at least in my case you know 
uh, is that you need to become the person that knows it all so you can answer the questions in those uh, tests, right? Mm. So by default, when you go into any other part of your life, like then you finish your degree, right? Whatever the degree is. Then you go into an interview and they ask you questions and you need to know everything, right? Then you go, but that, that is the employee world, right? When you go into the entrepreneurial world, if you apply the same principle in a sense like I need to know it all and if nobody can do it as well as I do, basically it's good for your ego, I guess, because everybody's going to tell you how good you are, which is great. But long term, you don't realize but you're hindering your own I guess, livelihood in a sense, right? Because the bigger your business, the more work you're going to have to put in to control everything, right? So, yeah, that's that's kind of how we see, you know, for us, that's how it is now. You know, as we grow the company, as you said, 130-something percent, which is great, you know, this is kind of the the, the challenges that we're finding, you know, that uh, as much as we want to do, we need to surround ourselves with people that are better than we are at what they do so we can actually you know concentrate and focus on other things that we can kind of uh, grow mm. and and following on a point masha that you made sort of a bit earlier about sort of direct selling network marketing sometimes not having the best reputation or a lot of misconceptions, what would you like to sort of say to the audience? And I think most people would have heard of, of some form of network marketing, multi-level direct selling, um, but all would have different sort of stories and experience. Maybe do you want to just clarify what it is and what it isn't and maybe what are some common misconceptions or questions you get asked about that as an industry and having been in that field for so long? Sure, yeah. So network marketing is most commonly confused with pyramid selling scheme. So those two things are very far apart from each other. Obviously, pyramid selling is illegal. I wouldn't advise anyone to get involved. Network marketing is a very legal form of creating a company where the marketing arm of the company is actually run by independent distributors that get rewarded for referring business to that company. It's really nothing else. It's really not very complex. It's almost like if you know you went somewhere to see a movie and if you referred a couple of friends to see the same this, to see a movie in the same theater, you would get a bonus and get a free ticket. I mean it's really nothing else. So, um, you know, network marketing obviously needs to have usually consumable products that have intrinsic value rather than in pyramid selling. Typically, the things that are being offered are very, uh, you know, they're not really consumable. Sometimes they're certificates or gold or some obscure things. So be very careful if people are approaching you with something saying it's network marketing and it doesn't really have a consumable product or service. It could be services as well. There's great services companies as well. So that's the first difference is to make sure that you really understand the difference between those two things. Now, in terms of network marketing, it's a two hundred billion dollar industry around the world in australia it's very much truly alive um i believe uh, according to some data probably 2016 is the last data that i've seen there's more than a million people that is involved in network marketing now the challenge is you can do network marketing on many different levels and most of us had come in contact with network marketing where they're excelling in a form of party plan, which means that our image of network marketing direct sales is, oh, I have to, you know, do face-to-face presentations and sell products. And while you can choose to do that with certain companies, there's 20,000-something companies, they're all amazing, they all have some of the most amazing products, you have to understand that you can also do network marketing on a very high level. 
um, you know, and be a very professional businesswoman or businessman, create systems and actually think about building leadership. So, you know, if you're really looking at creating six and seven figure incomes through network marketing, then you want to focus on creating leadership through organizations and really look at how do you run a large, you know, organization of independent distributors, which looks very similar to running like a franchise organization. It's really very similar, you know. Uh, if you were to own a franchise and the franchisees are the independent distributors in network marketing. So that's the best comparison. Um, and I think for us, you know, Miguel and I came into it uh, a long time ago and then uh, learned a lot through it, met, you know, thousands of people around the world and saw the professionalism that is being done both in Asia. I mean, even in Africa, in North America, everywhere around the world. And what our mission is, you know, through Pajama Bosses is helping leaders around the world in network marketing run their businesses in a very professional way so that network marketing becomes a mainstream profession. Because it is still emarginated, it is not something that a graduate at university would consciously choose as a business and a profession. And I think, um, you know, for us, it's just raising that awareness and showing people how they can do that on a very high level, professional level. Yeah, and I think that's a very good explanation and really helps to clarify the, the different perspectives and points. Um, having been now in an online mainly business and then obviously being in an offline, lots of travel, face-to-face sort of global business, how do you see the industry sort of shifting because it goes back sort of a, a, you know, a century plus to an online world where things are a lot more online, there's a lot more online commerce? Do you see people kind of doing a hybrid or, or focusing more online or is there still a huge amount of the offline, like I said, party planning type network marketing? Um, that's a great question, Derek, and, uh, you know, here probably uh, I might be a little bit controversial in a way. Uh, so the reason being is when we started in network marketing, you know, we there was like this era before Facebook, like, you know, we were still doing uh, paperwork. Now everything is online. Uh, we were doing presentations like on coffee tables sometimes, you know, and as, as um as hardworking as that that uh, that was, you can use you know the online world to to benefit and fast track your business today. Now, the challenge that we've seen, and I think it happens not just in network marketing, I think in many businesses, right, is that there is this, I guess, sometimes misunderstanding probably or misconception that um, just because we have access to the online world, uh, we can forget about the actual you know end game, which is building relationship with the customer in itself or building a relationship with the person that you have in front of you, right? Uh, the reason that mom and dad and my grandpa and my grandma, you know, used to go to the same bakery for years, right, was because apart from having a great product, there was a great person behind the counter treating them special, right? And what happened was what, I, what we've seen in the past, you know, kind of 10 years or so with the online world and the social media is that, as much as that can fast track the sales, you know, sometimes you lose a little bit the human the, the human side of, of the, the the equation or, or the transaction, you know, and people start to become just a number, you know, and when that happens, you know, you see businesses going up, you know, crazy, you know, like five hundred percent one year, and then the next year because they don't take care of their customers, right, or they don't take care of their people. You know, obviously, when you have a customer and you, the only thing that 
uh, or the decision that the customer always base their decision on is just price. When somebody else, a competitor comes with a better price or so, or quote unquote, the latest product, guess what the customer is going to do? And it doesn't matter if it's network marketing or it's traditional business. They will go somewhere else. So there has to be a point of difference. And the point of difference always is you taking care of that person and make them feel that they are special. Because when they go to work every single day, they probably go to a cubicle sometimes or they go to their job and they are in this kind of a mode where they go to work, they don't really need to think, they come back and they get into, you know, kind of a routine, right? So when somebody treats them in a special way, you know, you have them forever. Is that, is that kind of making sense? So I think what I see with the, with the online world and the social media is that it's an amazing opportunity for anyone that has a business to kind of tap into, you know, uh, and, and, you know, run ads and, and do everything you can because you can, you know, I always say, you know, and, and again, I didn't invent this. There is a book, you know, the world is flat, you know, for the, from the flat screen of your computer, you know, and you can reach out anyone anywhere around the world. So that means that you can have a business from the comfort of your own home if you choose to. The challenge is if you want to have a sustainable long-term business, and again, time will tell, you know, I don't have the answer to that, obviously, in my own business, but I can only say that in our case, for example, we try to take care of every single person that comes into, into our life in a way, you know, customers, clients, it doesn't matter because I think that that is the key to a long-term sustainable income, business and life, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point that you made about sort of the online world being very good to amplify something very quickly, but it's not necessarily building that foundation. And that's why, you know, Apple still has all their Apple stores because people like to go to the store and they invest heavily in that, um, as well as even Amazon that's continually doing more offline uh, physical locations and stores and you know, buying Whole Foods and things like that because they have all the online benefit but they've also got the, the offline presence that differentiates them and stops them from sort of being undercut or, or the next sort of quick amplification of a competitor coming up and, and sort of competing with them. Yeah, correct, yeah, exactly that. Okay, so, so you obviously deal with a lot of self-employed people, a lot of entrepreneurial people, you've travelled all over the world. What trends do you see in entrepreneurship within Australia? You know, where are Australian entrepreneurs doing well and, and where are we sort of lagging behind other parts of the world? I think Australians in a whole have, you know, a real entrepreneurial vein in that they dare to create businesses extremely fast, and that's amazing. And I, and I don't have the statistics. You probably may have some, but I think the number of small businesses we have in Australia is an extremely high percentage of population. Um, so I can, you know, compare it, for example, to Europe, where there's a much lower percentages of small businesses. So I think... Australians, you know, get the fact that owning your own business gives you a great lifestyle, which is, you know, what Australia to us is really all about. It's about the quality of the lifestyle. However, I think there's a trap in that. It, there's also, you know, the majority of the small businesses never pass a certain revenue mark. Again, I don't have statistics, but I remember reading through them and thinking, this is interesting. You know, a lot of the small businesses go to an extent where, you know, people cover their expenses, you know, in a small business, but never truly make a difference to their life or, you know, never truly create a legacy. 
So the question becomes, you know, how can we, in a first world country, which is an expensive country to live for most people, how can we create create more of a bigger picture for entrepreneurs? That it's not just about making an income and going back home at four o'clock in the afternoon and having a great lifestyle while that is important. Does that make sense? Mm. I think that we see sometimes a very short path. And Miguel and I have worked with thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs here in Australia and overseas. And the thing that stands out in Australia is the fact that we have the affluency, that we have so many opportunities, sometimes a trap. And so we really have to ask ourselves, are we really being a little bit selfish? You know, yeah, we get to do, you know, we come become entrepreneur, but we only do it just for the selfish reason of living a little bit better and creating a better lifestyle. You know, how about looking a little bit further out from Australia and seeing how we can actually make a global difference? Whatever you're passionate in, if you're passionate about the environment, do that. If you're passionate about health, you know, whatever your business may be that you want to go into. So that's what I think is lacking in Australia is a bigger picture and not just thinking about how much do I need, rather how much can I create and how much can I make a difference. But, but I think at the end of the day, Derek, uh, I mean, I personally love Australia. I think it's... Probably after living in so many countries, I, I can say, at least in my in my personal opinion, again, you know that this is this country of Australia is the best country you can live in for the to have the best quality of life, safety, everything, right? Uh, I guess obviously it depends where you live. You know, in our case, that's my experience in, in mm. 14 years in this in this amazing country. Now, in quickly, it goes back to. You know, I don't know if, if you if you've seen. I think it's somewhere on the net. You know, social media. Uh, there is a there is a picture of this uh, this guy. Uh, there is a, in a hammock, uh, sipping a beer, and you know, and like with the beer and the drinking and stuff. And uh, there is this uh, businessman with the with the suitcase that is next to him and saying, "What are you doing? You're doing absolutely nothing." You know. And the guy is just giving him the plan to, you know, I said, why should I do anything? It's like, it was like, why? Because you can have a hotel, you can call, you can do this, and you can make these millions, and you can do this. And, and, he said, and the guy says, and then what? And then you can buy this car, and then you can buy this house, and then you can buy, and the guy's like, and then what? He's like, then you can do this, and then you can do that. And the guy's like, okay, and then what? He says, so you can actually go and retire. And he says, and then what? And you can live on the beach. And in a hammock, drinking a beer. And the guy's like, well, that's what I'm doing right now. So why should I do anything else? You know, and I think sometimes that's what it is. You know, having that, as much as, you know, that bigger vision, I guess, that goes beyond who you are and what you do. And it's the impact that you can have around the world. Um, you know, this country, again, you know, I, I mean, if anybody says to me, you know, the American dream and all that, I would say, I think people are, are underestimating what the Australian dream is really about, because here you can have an amazing life, uh, quality, safety. People are, are super positive. Like I've never met an Australian that uh, you know with the no worries and how you how you going, mate, and all these things. You know that that had didn't have some some positive impact in my life. You know, and, and I, I haven't found this anywhere else around the world. Derek, too, like if you want to compare it a little bit further out, like for example, you know, each, obviously now we're generalizing continents and countries, but there's specific trends. Like we were living in Asia for quite a while, for about seven months, and then we frequently traveled to Asia, probably four to five, five times a year over the last seven or eight years. And we've spent quite a lot of time in, in Thailand, in China, in Hong Kong, in Taiwan many times. 
And, you know, for example, in Asia, what stands out that people are less concerned with their personal quality of life. They're more focused on success and finances, and they often work seven days a week, 16 hours a day. It concerns no one, you know, so it's very interesting. Uh, they're extremely hard workers. Uh, but, for example, to their difference, you know, when you travel to the U.S., especially in the U.S., people have this big picture vision better than anywhere else. You know, the way sometimes in, in the U.S. You, you see entrepreneurs casting a vision and creating a vision and believing big things are possible is like nowhere else. And that's what draw, draws them forward. So it's really, you know, it's interesting. Again, these are generalizations. And equally, the one we talked about in Australia is a generalization. Of course, there's many people doing completely the opposite. There's totally amazing entrepreneurs saving the world right here in Australia. But, you know, some things that we observe are really interesting across the whole the whole world. So that's, for me, the exciting part about running an international company. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's that sort of motivation and future mindset and goals and destination that's really interesting how that varies between people and between different parts of the world. Um, so looking back, obviously, you've, you've both made a lot of big changes in your life, moving city, country, continent, multiple times, changing industries and fields. Looking back on all that sort of, if you were sitting across from your sort of 20-year-old self, um, what would you sort of say to them? I think I would say to myself, allow myself to go forward faster and pursue things that I thought were risky. You know, for some reason, I didn't really understand what was possible. I didn't really, first of all, I did not have access to the information that I have access today about entrepreneurship, about personal development, despite going to some of the best universities and education in the world. So, you know, if I had the access to all this in my mind, I would allow myself to step forward a lot faster into a business world, becoming an entrepreneur, allow myself to fail faster. Um, You know, and I, for some reason, the situation, I, you know, uh, the way I was growing up, I thought I really have to follow a process. I didn't understand there was a lot of outside-the-box opportunity. Yeah, so I would just go back and say, go ahead and do whatever you want to do in your life. The time is right now. In, in my case, Eric, what I would say to my, you know, 18 to 20-year-olds, move to Australia faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the reason I'm saying that, I guess, it goes back to, to the one thing, you know, uh, Again, uh, it would it would I would be um, the speed of implementation. I guess you know just to take chances, more chances faster. You know, uh, people have I think, and again, let's not generalize. So myself, okay, this is my belief. My belief is uh, two things. So one is that again, I'm talking to myself. Uh, you know, my myself uh, at uh, 18 to 20 years old. I'm now 43, so half my age. Uh, and what I'm saying to that, to that Miguel is two things, you know, first of all, um, there is nothing written anywhere, Miguel, that, uh, that says that you need to be like this and you, and you can only have this much. So because there's nothing written anywhere by default, you know, uh, all the statistics and anything that you may see anywhere else doesn't mean that that is who you're going to be. So by default, you can be the exception to the rule. You know, there's always those people, those that we see on TV and they're super successful in life, not just financially, but also, you know, as a, as a human being. And you can choose to be, you know, the exception to that rule. That's one thing. And and the other thing at the end of the day is that, that speed of implementation. You know, I think uh, 
when you take more chances and you take them faster, it's never about making the right decision. It's about making the decision, you know, and then making that decision right, whatever that is, you know. And I think those are the two things that I would say to myself, you know. Uh, you are the exception to the rule, no matter what. Always believe that. And the second thing is, you know, take more chances, Miguel, because the more chances you take, the faster you're going to grow. Yeah, and I think that's both really good advice and, and a really good reflection of, again, the, the journey that you've both gone on to, to change from who you were then to who you are now. So, so what does the next five to ten years look like for Pajama Bosses? Obviously, you've created this online platform. There's a lot of technology behind it. You're growing very quickly. It's very scalable. You're combining the online and offline worlds. You, um, you know, have clients all over the world. What's the sort of future for the business and the long-term sort of goals as well? Yeah, we, we're very excited about growing Pajama Bosses as a, you know, an, an international company. And uh, really what we're really focused on is helping leaders in network marketing scale their businesses through our systems and software platform. And so the next five years, you know, we're looking to grow this company to nine figures per year. And so, you know, in the last year, what, for example, we've been learning a lot is how to you know, create systems, something that we teach, but how to actually implement them in our own right in an online, you know, marketing company called Pajama Bosses. So we've been doing a lot of work for this company to be scalable. And, you know, we continue to grow. I mean, we've had a great growth last financial year, but there is going to be probably double that, the growth in the next 12 months as well. So, um, yeah, so growing the company, you know, really working very heavily on our software platform and developing that, um, that is something that is very unique to what we do. Nobody else is doing this in the whole world. And we want to really help, as we said, our main mission is to create, is help network marketing become a mainstream profession. Excellent. Thank you, Masha and Miguel, for, for coming on. And do you have any final words you'd like to just leave the audience with? Uh, thanks, uh, Derek. So first of all, it's it's been a pleasure to, you know, to be in your podcast today. So uh, two things. So... First, you know, in terms of, you know, they should be following everything that you're doing. That's the one thing, you know, people like yourself, they are doing, you know, are taking the time to actually find people, you know, and, and uh, that they can talk to and, and actually ask questions so people can actually learn from, I guess, mistakes and, and, and success in, in, in cases. Uh, I think it's, it's a great thing. Today, I think uh, there's not enough people around the world that actually take the time out of their busy schedule to, you know, to connect with other people and actually provide a service like you, you're providing. So, so the first and number one thing is if you are not subscribed to the, to your podcast, they should do that straight away. So go and do it right now. So that's one thing. The second thing is the following. If you are looking at becoming somehow having a, becoming an entrepreneur or having a goal to, to be an entrepreneur, um, my only one thing that I would say to you is don't wait to, for everything to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Uh, find the who. Who is the person that you want to learn from? And go try to, you know, do whatever it takes to find that person and ask them, how much and how long is it going to take me for me to learn from you? And just tell me what I need to do. Tell me how much. You know, how often, how much I need to jump and I will do that straight away. And I'm not going to wait for tomorrow. I'm going to do it yesterday. Excellent. Thank you, Miguel. And Masha, any final words? Yes, I think, um, you know, it's really exciting to see for us 
um, so many amazing companies in Australia growing so, so fast. And I want the people who are listening to this podcast to remember that, you know, the, the person behind those companies know different to what they are. And it doesn't take a long time to create a business and make it successful. So, you know, just encouraging to know that there isn't such a large gap that they need to close, that they really need to find the mentors, that they need to take action, that they need to find the discipline and focus on never-ending improvement. It's really about who you are becoming in the process. It's all about how much you're able to change yourself. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about starting a business, go and do it yesterday, like Miguel said, and make sure that you understand that the gap is not large and just believe, you know, the thing that's really keeping us from not creating something is not believing it. So you need to believe more to become more and you certainly need to do more to become more. So that's all. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404 689 897. Thank you.